Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the worship. Lord, we thank you, God, for the day and the hour that we're living in. These are the last days. These are the last minutes of history. Lord, Jesus is coming soon. He stands at the threshold just ready to come when the Father speaks. Lord, we want to live with purpose, Lord, in our lives. We want to live with that eternal purpose that was also purposed in Christ Jesus in Ephesians 3.11. Lord, we want to be a light in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. Lord, we want to have that fire in our hearts that burns for our family, Lord, for our friends. Lord, we ask you, God, that you would speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All week I've just been thinking about a theme and, uh, you know, I've done a lot of reading, a lot of listening to things. I've just been thinking a lot about um, our mission and the church's mission. I've been thinking a lot about what God has called us into. And I was just thinking about just the purpose of the church and the, our purpose as a believer in this world that we live in. And I was just thinking about this term, missio dei. And I know that that's, that's Latin for the mission of God. And I know that may be associated with certain theological uh, configuration, but I don't want to talk about that today because it's not my goal. I just want to talk about really the mission of God. And I want to just take two messages about this. And I want to look, and I've been praying about it, just reading a lot of missiologists and hearing a lot of messages from just some fiery people about a vision for missions and, um, and just really being stirred up. And, then, and I had like everything kind of all laid out Friday night. And I was just thinking, okay, I'm ready to go. And then last night, I was going over the message. I was like, okay, my heart's not in this. This is not, I don't sense the heart is here. And, and I just thought, if I present this this way, it's going to be cardboard, <laughs> spiritual cardboard. And it's not going to be, it's not going to be hearts. And so I wanted just to, uh, so I just sat down and I prayed and I just sat in my room, in my living room, and, and just kind of read through some scripture And I let the scripture speak to me. You ever sit down and just let the scripture speak to you? Just let it speak. And maybe you're in a quiet place and it's just speaking to you. And it's it's talking to you. You read a a verse and there's a rhema that pops out to you. And you you take a moment and it speaks to you. And you think about it. You kind of, you're like chewing the cud like a a cow would. And you're thinking about it. And that's meditation. Then you go back, you go to the next verse, read it. Think about it. Let the Holy Spirit impress you. We don't need to speed through things. Uh, I think when, whenever we're thinking about Scripture and whenever we're preparing, you know, for something, um, we really should start with the Bible first and let the Bible speak to us. And before we go to any commentaries or before we go to any other other books or who does what this guy say? What does this guy say about this passage? Really, let the passage speak to us and get the get the rhema of the thought. When we capture that, then our heart and our mind is in it. And then, and then with that thought from God, that pericope, then at that moment we have the thought of God in that, in that verse. And uh, it's like an anchor in the text, right? Do you, know, do you know what I'm saying? How many of you have practices before you sit down to read, read a verse and it's speaking to you? Okay. And this is, what I wanted, this is what I did last night and this is what I did early this morning. I got up and read through these scriptures. So I don't have a lot of notes, but I'm just going to speak from what the scriptures spoke to me. And I want to just I want us to turn to Exodus chapter 2. And two messages. The first, the first message is really the mission of God. And the second message is 
the, the, mission, the mission of the church. The mission of God, meaning that what God's heart is. And then the second message, what is the mission or the calling of the church? In, in Exodus chapter 2, this is a very heartwarming story this, the, when God calls Moses. It's one of the most powerful portions of Scripture that I know of in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It speaks volumes to me. And let's turn to uh, Exodus chapter 2, and I'm reading from the Amplified Version again. And I want to start in verse 11. And we know the story of Moses, don't we? We know that Moses was born, um, and he was born in a very turbulent time uh, because there was the uh, because there was the persecution of the Hebrews, uh, Moses' mother and father, which were, they were Levites, they were not allowed to keep Moses and his life was in danger. So we know that Moses' mother puts him in a basket and sends him down the river. And then we see that she's peeking. And I don't know if you've, I don't know what movie this was. Was this the Bible or something? But I just remember that scene I remember seeing that Moses' mother is kind of just like sneaking through the reeds watching her son float down the river. And then we see Pharaoh's daughter gets Moses. And we know that Moses' mother got to be the, actually to raise Moses. And Moses here, Moses is a man that struggled with his identity. Uh, he, had, he was Hebrew. But he was grown up, he was, he was raised up with an Egyptian identity, an identity of the world, an identity that was not his identity. And that's the way it is with you and I. We, we are born into this world with an identity in Christ. But the Egyptian system, the world system, um, is intent on brainwashing you and I at a very young age as we're being formed in the first five years of our life to form us into something that we are not. And... It works hard on doing that. And this is what happened with the Egyptian system. They were educating Moses about who he was not. But his mother was speaking to him about who he was. We don't know how that all works. But we know that Moses in verse 11 at this point understands, I'm Hebrew and these are my people. And I'm, I'm, li I'm living in the Egyptian courts. And he was very divided in his identity. This really speaks of the believer today. We, are, we grew up in this world with a very divided identity, don't we? We have a capacity for the world, right? The world's music, the world's education, the world's entertainment, the world's language, the world's ways, the world's priority system. We have a capacity for that. And, and many of us, if not all of us, can, we can live in that capacity and do very well, couldn't we? Because we have a capacity for that. We have been educated by a system to live, which is, which is a self-based system. And then we have also another capacity in Christ Many of us have been saved for a while, and we have this capacity in Christ to live for Christ, but that's the identity that, that Moses does not understand who he is in God. And so he's, he's struggling now. He's seeing a situation in verse 11. One day after Moses had grown into adulthood, it happened that he went to his countrymen and looked with compassion at their hard labors. So he's looking at these people, and he's seeing their labor. He's seeing these are my people, and they, under, they are under so much pressure. Their load is unbelievable. And he has compassion at their hard labors. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his countrymen. Again, we see this second time in the scripture. 
The emphasis is on his countrymen. These are his people. Imagine that. My people are being beat on by these Egyptians. He turned around. He turned to look around, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Moses, we see later on, we're going to read in the scripture here, is a man that has compassion. He's a man that uh, was for the little guy. He was for the underdog. He was a guy that had a real shepherd's heart. He had a pastor's heart. And he sees this countryman of his being beaten. And he doesn't go out and boldness in front of everybody to kill this man. He goes out secret and kills him. Moses is looking for a mission. He is looking for a mission. He's looking for a purpose in his life. Why? Because his identity, his, his self-esteem as a man is not in God. And, when, and, and this goes for women too. When our identity is not in God and not in the finished work of Jesus Christ as a new creation, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 17, then we're going to look for a mission. We're going to look for a purpose. Whether it's living for myself, living crazy, or living for some, living for some um, martyrdom or for some purpose. So Moses is looking for a purpose here so he can grapple onto his identity. Do you, what I'm, do you see what I'm following, you following what I'm saying here? He's looking for some sense of validation. He's looking for a sense of some significance. Men struggle with significance. We struggle with significance. Women struggle with security. I mean, everybody struggles with everything. I don't want to just say women don't struggle with significance, but men really struggle for the sense of validation and, and, and who am I and what is my mission. And so Moses here is in that place. Verse 13, he went out the next day and he saw two Hebrew men fighting with each other and he said to the aggressor, so we see here Moses is starting to be like, I'm going to be, the, I'm going to be Superman for these people. I'm going to, I'm going to be their savior. I have a, he had a real heart for them. And he sees these two men struggling and he said to the aggressor, why are you striking your friend? And verse 14, but the man said, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid and said, certainly this incident is known. There's something interesting to note here is that when we grapple onto a purpose or a mission before we understand who we are in Christ, the result is going to always be fear and insecurity whenever that boat is rocked. If I have a mission or if we have some kind of purpose or something that I do to derive my sense of significance from other than God, we'll see you in a moment here. Whenever that boat is ever rocked, I'm going to be very insecure and I'm going to feel very threatened. And this is what happened to Moses. Moses feels threatened. He's like, I feel threatened. And, and so Moses here in verse 13 is walking around Egypt now in the Pharaoh's court with a sense of fear and intimidation. And in verse 13, when, Moses, when Pharaoh had heard this matter, he tried to kill Moses. And verse 13 is this amazing verse here. And just let's read this through together. When Pharaoh heard that this, about this matter, he tried to kill Moses. Then Moses fled from Pharaoh's presence and took refuge in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. That verse, when I read that, spoke volumes to me because here's Moses, right? He runs from Pharaoh. He's in, the, he's in the wilderness for weeks. He's on the run. And then he winds up. And then it sounds like in, in verse 15, the, the action is like blurred 
with just so much activity and so much time is passing, but then it suddenly slows down to slow motion when it hits that last part where it says, where he, and he took refuge in the land of Midian where he sat down by a well. Think about that. That he's sitting down by a well and he's thinking, what just happened in my life the last few weeks? I'm on the run. My, my king, my pharaoh wanted to kill me. He tried to kill me. We don't know how that happened. Was he sleeping at night? And some men came into his room to try to kill him, and he was able to escape? Or was he at the marketplace with friends, and uh, he, was, he was attacked there? We don't know the, uh, the circumstances of how they tried to kill him. But he was, they tried to assassinate Moses. His life was in danger. And then, he's, then we see he's thinking, I've got to get out of here. Maybe he packs his stuff. There's a whole bunch of things that are happening here over these few weeks. But then it slows down to a point where he sits down by a well. That really speaks to me because wells in the Bible have great significance. It's a place where Jesus sat by a well. We see that Abraham's servant was by a well. We see Jacob was by a well. We see wells all over the Bible. And you know what wells speak of? Well, what is a well? It's something that is deep. It's very deep. It's a place of refreshing and it's a place that is a result of much labor. It's kind of a place where a person winds up in their life after great catastrophe. Have you been by a well before? Have you run for your life with a sense of banishment and estrangement and fear and wound up by a well? You're sitting down. I can just see Moses sitting there. I'm not an artist, but if I could paint, I'd like to paint a picture of that. Moses sitting by the well trying to figure out his life. He's sitting there, and I think Moses at that point is longing for depth. He's longing for some sense of spirituality. He's longing for some sense of something deeper than all of the circumstances that were going on in his life. This is what happens to you and I when we get into a mission that we are looking for significance and security from. Our life is going to be turned upside down, and we're going to wind up on the run like Elijah did, and we're going to be sitting by a well. We're going to be scratching our head like, what just happened? And so Moses is sitting here by a well. And the well is a place where, where you can reach deep down and you can pull up refreshment. It speaks of depth, spiritual depth. It speaks of a place of rest. And so Moses is sitting here. And, when, and, and in verse 16, now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. And they came and drew water from the well where Moses was resting and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Something to notice here, and I don't want to speed through this, but Prince, there, there was a priest of Midian. Who was this guy? This was his future father-in-law. This was Jethro. But Jethro has another name, Reuel, which means friend of God. This man in, 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 was by his name in Hebrew speaks of a man who worshipped the Semitic god El, Ruel, which means that he was a god worshiper. He worshipped God. He was a priest. He was a man that had communion with God. Who was, who was Jethro? But he was a descendant of Midian. Who was Midian in Genesis 25, verse 1? He was a man. He was a son that was born. He was a son of Abraham through a concubine. Same story as Ishmael, but, Ish, but, but this Midian was not a first son, so he didn't have the rights that Ishmael had. So we see that Midian is a descendant of Abraham through a concubine, 
And we see here that this man, somehow we don't know his story, but he is a believer in God. He worshiped the same God that his, that his, that his uh, great-grand, his ancestor Abraham worshiped. God, El, the Semitic God. He was a God worshiper. Isn't that beautiful? We see Moses, a man lost in his identity, lost in his purpose. He is a man that is lost to everything, and he's, not, he's lost to his own country and his own people group. And now he's in a land that he does not know where he is, and he's sitting by a well, and God brings a friend of God into his life. Isn't that beautiful? When we get lost in our life, think of the times when God has brought a friend into your life, a friend of God. Some obscure person, maybe you don't even know, you don't have any affinity to this person, but God just, you're sitting by your well, and God brings a friend in. It's a friend of God, a worshiper of God, even a person that may not be a super-looking spiritual person, but just a a Gentile that worshiped God. And so here he is. The priest of Midian had seven daughters, seven speaking of the fullness in numerology, the fullness of God, the finished work of God, the, the completion of God. Here's a man that was complete in who he was in God. He was a man who didn't have much, but he was complete. He had seven daughters, and they came and drew water from the well. And in verse 17, the shepherds came, and these were a group of marauding men that were just Shepherds, they have no culture, they had no etiquette, they had just no manners whatsoever. They just march in, they see these seven women, and they just start bullying, bullying them. Moses sees what's happening, and something inside of him is stirred up. It is that shepherd pastoral uh, aspect of who Moses was. Now, I have seen times where before someone discovers who they are in Christ, they discover they have capacities and gifts. And these people, and I've done it myself, and I'm sure that we have done it, all of us in this room have done it at some time or another, we start functioning in our gifts or our capacity without understanding who we are. Moses here, he killed an Egyptian. Was that wrong that he was concerned about his people? No, that was his pastoral heart. He had a capacity to, to uh, love the underdog. God built him that way. But he did not know who he was. And we see it for a second time, and we're going to see a third time later on, that Moses' shepherd heart, his pastoral aspect of who he was, it rises to the occasion, defends these women, and he draws in verse 19 water for them and water their flock. And when the girls get home, when these daughters get home, verse 18, they, go, they came to Ruel, Jethro, their father, and said, How is it you came back so soon today? And they said, an Egyptian saved us from the shepherds. Now, interesting to note that, this, that they say he's an Egyptian. He was probably wearing his Egyptian clothing. He was still probably speaking Egyptian, but he was Hebrew. And he was a worshiper of God, the, the God El, the, the Semitic God, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob. And so these women say an Egyptian saved us. And this is interesting to note. There's no mistakes in any descriptors in the Bible, and that just tells us that Moses is struggling with his identity his worldly identity. And, and Jethro, Ruel, says, where is he? Why have you left the man behind? I was, you know, a dad of seven daughters, you know, thinking about future son-in-law. <laughs> Just saved all my daughters, maybe. Maybe I'd like to meet this guy, right? So, and they said, oh, and the ladies are like, oh, yeah, right. Well, he was kind of good-looking. I mean, we should bring him home, you know? So they go and get him. And in verse 21, we see... Um, that Moses was willing to remain with the man, and he, and he gave Moses' daughter Zipporah to be his wife. Now, verse 21, we see Zipporah. 
who was Zipporah? She was in chapter 4, verse 24, I think. A woman that really didn't have a lot of compassion for Moses. <laughs> and for Moses' inner loneliness and his detachment from his people and his identity struggle that he had, his self-esteem issues. And Zipporah was like, we can read in chapter 4, verse 24, 23 and 24, that she has really no compassion. She's like, hey, you know, I just, you know, I don't want you to be so wrapped up in where you're from. Let's just focus on the kids here, you know. And, and so and she gave birth to a, to a son in verse 22, and he named him Gershom, which means stranger or sojourner. Why did he do that? Because Moses, after the many years of living in the backside of the desert, still does not feel like he's home. He's married to, he's married to Zipporah. He's married to someone who's not in his, from, his, from his nation. And he's there, and he has a son. And I've given born, I, I've been a stranger in a foreign land. Moses is struggling with loneliness. He's struggling with loneliness. And I love the story of Moses. I can relate so much to his life. And what had happened after a long time in verse 23, long time can be qualified by 40 years according to what Stephen's commentary as he's preaching before he's stoned. Moses is in the backside of the desert for 40 years. 40 years. Subtract your age right now. Subtract 40 from your age right now. What does that come to? That makes me 11. That's a long time. Some of you are like not even born yet in this room, right? <laughs> and it's like that, that's a long time to be lost in a land. Sometimes we get really upset about family members who are not saved within two years. Like God's plan is a God can God's your plan in our, in our family's lives can be forty years, it can be eighty years, and so Moses here is forty years in, in the backside of the desert. That the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel, Jacob, groaned and signed because of the bondage, and they cried out in their cry for help because of their bondage ascended to God in verse 23. What's happening here is, is that Israel is hoping, like, man, we hope that this guy, when this king dies, when this Pharaoh dies, it's all going to change. The Pharaoh dies, a new Pharaoh comes in, nothing changes. And they're like, oh, no, this is, gonna, this is so bad, this is so horrible. We thought with this new president, everything was going to change. With this, new, with this new Pharaoh, it's going to all change. And so their groaning even becomes more multiplied. In verse 24, God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Israel. I love that. God never forgets. Isn't that great? 40 years may go by, God does not forget his promises in your life, in our lives. And God saw the sons of Israel, in verse 25, and God took notice of them and was concerned about them I like how it says in the English Standard Version, it says, and God knew. That's where the sentence ends. <laughs> and God knew. I love that. That's just enough. That's so comforting, isn't it, that God knows like where we're at. God took notice of them and was concerned about them. And it says here in the Amplified, knowing all, understanding all, and remembering all. And so this is like 40 years later, chapter 3, verse 1 starts. 40 years later, Moses here, we don't know what he looks like. Maybe he's in the garb. The local guard. Maybe his Egyptian is. Maybe he's losing his Egyptian. But when he goes to see Pharaoh, he says, "I'm a man of stuttering lips." One commentator says that he actually may have been away from Egypt so long that he forgot how to speak Egyptian. So when he spoke Egyptian, it was stuttering. That's a, that's a possibility. And so he's gone so long, and Moses was keeping the flock of Jethro, well, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, Sinai, the, the mountain of God. I think the priest of Midian, or Jethro, his father-in-law, Ruel, 
was a man that may have started investing in him, may have started speaking to Moses about this God, El, this Semitic God, the father, the God of the father, father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he begins to, and he begins to pour into, maybe this is just my, my idea, my, my theory. In verse 2, as he goes to the west side of the wilderness, and what that means is that sometimes when shepherds were running out of fertility in the land to feed their flocks, and there was no cattle in the deserts there. This, this part of the desert uh, was not a place that could, could sustain cattle. It could only be small animals like sheep and uh, goats, these types of animals that didn't require much. And so what they would do sometimes is they would ascend into the high plains, which were more fertile, and sometimes there were even fruit trees. And so Moses here is taking his flock, and maybe he's thinking, I'm 80 years old, this is the way it, goes. This is the way it ends. I'm 80 years old. There's nobody here 80 years old. I mean, what does 80 years old feel like? I don't know what that feels like. 80 years old. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking this guy's thinking my life's over. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just, I'm going to start a nation here. And that's it. And maybe years have gone by where he just forgot about God's calling in his life. Maybe he gave up. Maybe he doesn't even remember. Maybe he doesn't even remember what Egypt looks like. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire in verse 2 from the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was on fire, yet it was not consumed. That's one of the most amazing verses for me, that I, that I, it just speaks so much to me. Think of the scene, I think we've seen it, Hollywood has done their best to portray this, but here's a tired, discouraged old man, walking with his, you know, walking with his, with his flock. And he's walking along, and he notices a bush on fire. Now, that wasn't something that was strange in itself, because in the, in the desert, many times, bushes would spontaneously catch on fire because of the dryness of things. And so seeing a bush on fire was not a, a strange thing for him. But what was strange about it was that it was burning, that, but it wasn't burning the bush. Moses had been burned. He had been burned with his own mission. He had, burned, he had been burned with something that consumed his life, and now he was a spiritual casualty. He was on the backside of the desert, an old man discouraged. He looked at that bush, and he noticed it burning, and he's walking on. He notices again, it's not burning. It's burning, but it's not being consumed. And he keeps walking. He goes, wait a minute, what's going on with that bush? It's not being consumed. Moses looks at the bush, and what does he see? He sees himself. He sees himself. Because that reminds me of the way I used to be. I used to be on fire for God. I used to be so excited about delivering the children, the, the Hebrews, and being their savior, being the guy that sticks up for them. And he sees that bush. He says, but you know something? That ended in just great discouragement or betrayal or failure. How many people have we talked to in the older years of their life where they say, I used to think like that, but I got burned? How many of you have ever talked to people like that? Maybe we've said it ourselves. Maybe there are things in our life would say, I used to think that way about a mission of God in my life, but I failed or I blew it and I, there's just no more hope for me. I'm totally disqualified. Or maybe someone says, you know something, they, I was betrayed or I lost my trust in that church or organization or that person and now I'm just doing this thing, some sub-level sub living. Moses looks at the bush, sees it burning and it's not being consumed. God is saying to Moses, I'm giving you a vision for your life. I'm giving you a picture of something. This is going to be you. You're going to be on fire, but you're not going to be consumed or destroyed. Is that beautiful? That's the picture that God gives to you and I in the finished work of our calling. We are called by God. 
We are led by God. We are spoken to by God. And God shows to us this vision of a man on fire. And who was that? Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ was on fire for his Father's will in John chapter 4. He's on fire for his Father's will. And though he was, he was not consumed, some commentators say that this is a bush of the picture of Israel. Israel is, being, is in the valley of great humiliation, being afflicted by the fire of God's chastening or God's, God's purification. Yes, that can also be that. But I like this also, this picture too. He turns aside and he said, I must turn away, in verse 3, from the flock. I like those words. I must turn away from my thing I'm all occupied with, my security, my, 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 my identity here of me doing this flock and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw, he turned away from the flock to look. God called to him from the midst of the bush and he said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Verse 4. Another just verse that's so filled with so much meaning and so much symbolism and so much power there. God waits till Moses looks and he starts moving in a direction. God waits in our life until we start looking for that bush. Maybe you know someone today that's very discouraged. Maybe we're discouraged. We're like, I, I feel like I've been burned in some area of my life or something that's happened in my life. Maybe there's 10 years down the road we're going to be where Moses is at. Moses just looks. That's all that God asks us to do. He just says, turn and look. Isaiah 45, verse 22, look and you'll be saved. Look and you'll be delivered. Just look. Look at me. Look at God. And so he turns aside and he goes and God says to him, Moses, Moses. Why does he say Moses twice? I think it's because God is speaking to two parts of Moses. He's speaking to the outer man and he's speaking to the inner man. God speaks Moses first. He says Moses and he speaks to the inner man of Moses. That part that's dilapidated, that motivational part, that engine, that part of Moses that's just been totally shut down because of failure and personal discouragement. And then he says to the outer part of Moses, his body, he says, Moses, I've got a plan for you. You're 80 years old. You feel like you can't do it. But I have a plan for you. And Moses said, here I am. And I, 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 I can kind of see how he says this. You know, I'm kind of imagining how he says, I am what I am. This is what, <laughs> look at me. I used to be a great Egyptian. I used to be next to the Pharaoh. I was, I was this great man. And look at me now. I'm just shabby, long hair. You know, the pictures that we see, the beard. And he looks pretty scraggly. Here I am. <laughs> I am what I am. This is it, God. <laughs> and he said, this is what it is. And so God says in verse 5, he says, then said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet out of respect because the place in which you are standing on is holy ground. Late last night, I was thinking about this and just reading a little bit of the Isagogics, the historical context of what this was, the culture of taking the shoes off. And do you know that when I would read that verse, I'd always think of God's holiness. And we should because this is about God's holiness. God is holy. God is so holy and so perfect and so pure. And we are so frail. We are so broken. We are so filled with sin. And we're so filled with wrong words in our lips. Like in Isaiah chapter 6, it says, Woe is me. I'm, a, I'm an unclean man with unclean lips that living in an unclean, amongst an unclean nation. And I'm standing before God. I don't know if you've ever had this experience in your life. But I have. I've had it many times where I'm just sense, I'm standing in the presence of a holy God and I'm just aware of my own frailties and my own brokenness, my own weakness. And this is a very humbling experience. And God says, don't come near. And then he says, take your sandals off. And this is, the, this is a part that really speaks to me 
in a deep way, and I hope it speaks to all of us. He said, take your shoes off. Why did, in the ancient Eastern culture, why did they take their shoes off? And I've heard people say, well, because it reveals the most sensitive part on the human body, which is the sole of the foot, that every organ and every nerve ending ends at your foot, and it's the greatest place of sensitivity and your sensitivity to God. But in ancient cultures, even today in India and in the Middle East, when you go into someone's house, when someone is hosting you, you take your shoes off because it's an opportunity for them to wash your feet, to leave all the dust and the garbage and the dirt outside the house, but bring, coming into the house in a place where your feet can be washed. It speaks of hospitality. Isn't that beautiful? God is purely, totally holy, but yet he is not impersonal in his holiness. Remember that. God is holy. God is pure. He is righteous. He is almighty. He is perfect, but he is not impersonal. The devil is impersonal. The devil portrays a form of righteousness which is not of God, and it's impersonal. The devil is very impersonal. God is personal. He is saying to Moses, Moses, do not come near with your shoes on. Take your shoes off because you cannot experience me unless I wash your feet, unless I wash you, unless I minister to you. Holiness is personal, and yet it's also very hospitable. God was saying to Moses, I want to invite you into my sphere of hospitality. Isn't that beautiful? And so Moses takes his shoes off. I imagine he takes his shoes off. And then he said in verse 6, I am the God of your father. And very often, if you read the story of Moses, you, hear, you see Moses always questioning himself, who am I to go to talk to, to, to Pharaoh? Who am I? Who should I say that sent me? He was really struggling with identity. And so God says here, right off the bat, he says, let me, let me identify myself to you. I am. I am unmovable. I am the God of your, of your fathers, Abraham the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And then Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. That's verse 6. There's a lot of things that are probably going through Moses' mind right now. This is the true picture of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is not a fear of an impersonal holiness. It's a fear out of just respect and brokenness and love and, and trust in the presence of a God that he understands his that he's a fallen creation. I think this is good for us. Every one of us need to have this experience in our life, at least sometime in our life, where we are in the presence of God and we are undone. And we're alone with our Bible. And I want to talk about some kind of experience where we just, where we just experience the holiness of God, our own brokenness, and then the hospitality of God draw near. And that's what Jesus did with Peter. It's almost like when Peter was on the boat, remember, and they're fishing all night, and they're not catching fish. You ever do that in your life? You fish all night. You don't catch any fish. And then Jesus comes on the scene and says, cast the net over on the right side of the boat. And, and, and Peter's like, we've been toiling all day, but at, nevertheless, at your rhema, I'm going to lay down the net, put out the net. So he puts the nets out, and there's a great multitude of fish. And what, is, what does Peter do at that moment? He falls on his face in the boat before Jesus, and he says, depart from me. I'm a sinner. <laughs> Those words are amazing. This is what happened with Moses. Moses is like, just depart from me. I, I'm, I'm a broken man. I, I, I'm, 
I messed up. I, I've fallen so many times. I am not trustworthy. I've forsaken. I cannot go back to my people. I'm lost. And so God says, this is who I am, and this is my plan. This is who I am, and I have a plan. And it started with Abraham. And by the way, you married one of his, his descendants. I have a plan. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac, and I'm the God of Jacob. And then Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And, and then the Lord said in verse 7, I have in fact seen the affliction, suffering, desolation of my people who are in Egypt and heard their cry because of their taskmasters, oppressors, for I know their pain and suffering. Then we start seeing the mission of God. God starts talking about his mission. First, he ministers to Moses, and he begins to speak to Moses about who he is. Then he begins to talk about his mission. This did not happen before with the Egypt, because an Egyptian died as a result of that. This didn't happen before with Moses. Moses was not a broken man. And God begins to speak about his, he, about his mission. He first, starts to say, he, he first starts to say, I'm going to finish in a couple minutes here, he says, I have seen and I know. That's the way the mission of God always begins. I think about spring, think about these neighborhoods, think these people, you know, these people that we ministered to yesterday. And I hear God say, I've seen the affliction of these people and I know. I've seen the affliction of your neighbors and I know. I've seen the affliction of these neighborhoods and I know. I have heard their cry. And I think we're here today because God heard somebody's cry. When we started, when we when we redid the, when we had that church up in Philadelphia, I had one woman come up to me and she said, "I've been praying for years that a church would start here," and she was just in tears. And I said, "We're probably here because of your prayers. You and I, we are here today because somebody cried out to the Lord." And so I have come down in verse eight to rescue them from the hands, the power of the Egyptians, and to bring them up from the land to a land that is good. And spacious, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land of plenty to the place of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Pizzerite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Six different nations, and each one of these nations had a very interesting particular aspect. And you can take each one of those nations and compare them to a demonic type of activity that's happening in our society today. And I don't have the time to do it, but that's just a fascinating study. He says, I have heard their cry, and I want to do something great in their lives. He says, Moses, this is my mission. I, want to, I have a grace mission. I have a mission here to bring them into a land of goodness. And verse 9, Behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. I'm going to finish there, because the next set of verses begin about the mission of Moses, about God's mission for Moses. I just want to say this in closing, that it's so important for us as believers, as Christians, and what we're doing here in spring as, our, as, our, as we just ramp things up, as we just see God bless in different ways and lead us, it's important that we just have these moments where we just get before the presence of God. We can't manufacture this. God has to speak to us. And it usually happens after a series of events that we do where we're killing Egyptians and we're trying to be a mediator for someone that we don't have any authority to be a mediator for. And we wind up by a well after we feel threatened in our mission. We're sitting by a well. We're looking for meaning. We're looking for depth. And then God brings in the friend of God. God brings in a priest, a man that's no great person <laughs> by any means, just a, just a friend of God, comes in and begins to pour into Moses' life for 40 years. And in that moment, God says, Moses is ready now. Now I'm going to give Moses a vision about a life of power, of faith, 
and of burning where he himself is not going to be burned up and burned out because it's grace. It's a grace mission. It's a mission of love and compassion because it's God. It's God's mission. And I'll finish with this. Is that if there's anything that I ever do that results in me being burnt out, I can always come to this conclusion that this was my mission and this may not have been God's mission. This may have been my thing and not God's thing. When I get, ups, when I get, when I get disappointed in, in everything, and this happens to all of us, what will happen is, is that we have to reorient ourselves to God's mission. What is God's heart for these people? What's God's heart for that crazy neighbor that just drives me crazy? What is God's heart for that family member that's, that's going through these things? What is God's heart for my, for my marriage? What is God's heart for my kids? What is God's mission? And when we get oriented to God's mission, God's love, God's compassion, and we start thinking about God's thoughts about people, then you know what happens? A fire burns in our life, and we have incredible capacity to do things that we would have never imagined that we could do because it's the fire of God burning in us and not our own mission. Does that make sense? Is that, is that, is that, is that clear? And so let's, before we have the, the worship team come up, I just want us to bow our heads and just for a moment quietly just go before God and and it's okay to to just sit by that well and and just long for that depth and that connection with with significance with God's will God's plan and and Lord we just are here today where we can be sometimes like Moses by that well and Lord we just need you to send us a friend of God and that friend of God was Jesus Christ. He was a man that invested in us. He could be a pastor. He could be a brother or sister in the Lord. He could be a provision that comes from God. And Lord, we, we do look at that, the ultimate priest, the high priest, Jesus Christ. He was our priest. And he came into our lives and, and gave us something. And then we met you by that burning bush. Lord, we want to take that, take a moment here and just uh, present ourselves to you, Lord. You are our God. We want to present ourselves as living sacrifices. That the fire would burn in our heart that compassion for people. That we would not be burnt out. That we could love unconditionally. Because when we have that sense of the holiness of God, there's that great brokenness and great power that begins in our life. Let's have the worship team come up and lead us in a song and we'll have Sean come up and pray for the offering.